in our final session here this morning to talk about the question, what are Sundays for? What are Sundays for? I was talking with some friends this week who are church planners, and they said in their different cities where it, it, there's not an overwhelming residue of church attendance, that people kind of struggle to understand why Sundays matter or why the worship gatherings matter. And so for some people, they say, well, you, you know what? I mean, I've got my podcast of my favorite preachers, and, and I've got my iTunes playlist of my favorite worship music. So I, I'm not really sure why Sundays matter. And as pastors or as church leaders, we keep telling them Sundays matter, but it's hard for them to believe us because we kind of have a little skin in the game. We, we sort of have a vested interest in their showing up. And so we're saying, hey, hey, you know, Sundays really, do not forsake the gathering together. And they're like, yeah, but why? And if we're honest, maybe for us, even as leaders, and this is a safe place, but even for us as leaders, it may be tempting to ask the same question, say, well, what are Sundays for? Why do we gather? What is the point of all of this? When I think about this question, I think that we, in the last couple decades, have answered this question in one of three ways. Now, anytime you say a list like that, you have to give all these caveats and qualifiers, because maybe there's a dozen ways. But the way I think about it, at least at the moment, is that there's, one of th there's three ways that we tend to think about Sundays. And the first way is this. The first is the word mission. We think that Sundays are for mission. And so these outward arrows right here in the screen say Sundays are all about reaching the lost. We've got to add to our numbers. We've got to see the lost come running home. Sundays are for the lost. Years ago, even here at, at this church, we used to say reach the lost at any cost because people last forever. Now listen, is there something true about that? You bet. There's absolutely something true about it. We just heard in the previous session the reference to the Great Commission. There's something true about the fact that the church is here to make more disciples and to tell more people about the name of Jesus. But I suggest to you that if mission becomes the only thing that defines your Sunday gatherings, it distorts the identity of what the church is. Let me say it again. If mission is the only thing that defines what a church is, it distorts the identity of the church. Because then we all of a sudden are tempted to degenerate into God's sales and marketing team. We start saying, well, I should, re I should reach the lost. It is all about those people who are not here. So we start consulting marketing books. And we start consulting uh, best practices from businesses and CEOs. We start saying, well, well, listen, how can we create the Starbucks experience but for Jesus, people? So, well, I, and we justify all of these moves because we think that Sundays are solely, hear me carefully, solely for mission. And all of a sudden, all of our decisions get pushed through the grid of how can we reach more people? A good goal distorted because it's the only goal. You know, there are many things in life where they're good things, but when they become the only thing, it distorts. Lots of things in life are like that, right? And mission is a good thing. It is part of the church's identity, but when it becomes the only thing, it distorts a church's identity. I met with uh, a young couple who went out from the School of Worship here at New Life. I had the privilege of serving as a director of the New Life School of Worship for seven or eight years. And this, this, this couple went out and went to go serve a church. And they were, they were really enjoying it. 
And after a while, they just felt exhausted. And I met with them in one of their visits back here, and they said, Glenn, it just, it felt exhausting because every Sunday, we had to get it ready for the lost. Every Sunday, we had to be on. I mean, there couldn't be dead space. There couldn't be, everything had to be clicking because you just never know who was going to show up and need Jesus that day. And they said, we, we were even told, Sundays are not for you part of the worship team. Sundays are not for you. You go get fed on your own time and on your own dime. Now maybe you know churches like this. Maybe you know churches like this. And maybe this is why when you hear Pastor Brady say addicted to busy, you're thinking, I don't know how we stop because in our church we have justified our busyness because we've got to reach the lost. It's curious to me that for all of our Messiah complex about reaching the lost, that the actual Messiah seemed to take his time. 30 years, not even a story to show for it. It's the Gnostic Gospels that have stories of Jesus before 30, but our Gospels don't, except for that one instant when he was 12. See, our culture, we say, we need to publish lists of 30 under 30. Who's doing stuff under 30? Who's cranking? Who's the 100 fastest growing churches that are doing it with pastors that are under 30? Just make it all awesome. And Jesus is like under 30. Shouldn't you get going now? Jesus, I mean, the virgin birth, I mean, the angels in the sky, we're all kind of waiting. It's about time. Earlier this summer, my wife and I um, sold our house here in Briargate, and we moved over to Rockerman, West Side, Holla, West Side, and um, yeah, it's not quite the same thing in Colorado Springs, but um, <laughs> let's, just be, let's just be honest, people. Um, but when we were selling our house, and if you've sold a house, you, you, you know this, this feeling of every day you've got to get it ready for a showing, because you just don't know who's going to call. So we have four kids. You saw the picture of them. Can you imagine how hard it is to keep a house picked up? And we had a realtor who's very good, but he's very particular about how the house needs to look for showings. But he's very good. But this is how. This is how. So every night we're like, you know, wiping up stuff, picking, putting toys away, you know. And then in the next, you know, the, the, every morning, you know, we wake up and like, Sophia, what are you doing? Why is there a plate out? So like, Dad, I'm getting breakfast. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, yeah, I suppose you should do that. Yeah. It gets to be this thing where you're like, no, listen, you can't, you can't do that. What are you doing eating? Why did you take a doll out of the shelf where she was properly placed? Because I wanted to play with something, Dad. But there could be someone coming to you. You see where I'm getting with this. When a home becomes a showroom, the family is lost. When the home becomes a showroom, we're not a family anymore. We're just people. We're just cleaners. That's all we are. And if you're feeling exhausted as a church staff, it could be because church is no longer home for the people of God. It's the showroom floor for the lost. But if Sundays are the showroom floor, you're going to have a tired staff. You're going to have a burned out team. Because we don't want to just clean and prep and produce and polish we want to live as the people of God. This is where life happens. This is our home. Now we got to make the home ready for guests. There's no doubt. There's guests that come over. But, but 
We don't live with the home as a showroom floor. Mission cannot be the only thing that defines Sundays. Well, maybe the second word is expression. Now, I've deliberately stayed away from the word worship because obviously there's something deeply true about saying that Sundays are for worship. But I've chosen a much narrower word, expression, because of this. Because many of us hear the word worship and we think praise and worship. And then when we think praise and worship, we think my favorite style of praise and worship. Right? So I deliberately chose the word expression, not worship, because expression shows us what we sometimes really mean. <laughs> so when we say, what are Sundays for? They're for expression. And tra- the translation is, Sundays are for when I get to express my heart to God the way I like to. And so it's, it's sort of this catered thing. And again, there's something good about that. It is about our expression of praise to the Lord. It is about our expression of worship to the Lord. It is about this upward movement. But if it's only about expression, guess what happens to you all as the team, as the leaders? You start to become the purveyor of different possibilities of expression. Oh, would you like a traditional service? Here you go. Would you like a Hillsong service? Here you go. Would you like a more grungy acoustic service? Here you go. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves being a dealer of different expressions because this is what we're convinced Sundays are for. Sundays are for people to have expressions, right? So let's just provide different expressions for different folks. And the trick with that, the trick with that is you can't keep that up. The trick with that is it becomes inauthentic, it becomes unsustainable. You're like, well, I'm just trying to give. And, and then church, all of a sudden, is not the family of God, but it's much more like the fitness club. You know, the gym, how many of you have gym memberships? Okay, all right. Well, you might want to think that's another talk now. <laughs> but, you, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's clear that I do. <clears throat> just get. But you know, when you go to the gym, all you care about is that the equipment is nice and new, and then you can get on the treadmill or the elliptical or whatever, and you don't really care about the other people in the room because you're there for you. And so that's what church becomes. Church becomes the spiritual health and fitness club where I, it's fine that you're there using the other elliptical, and it, but as long as I've got my thing, and it's me and Jesus, and as long as I can get spiritual improvement, then I'm good. But that's not what church is. It's not the place where we all come together and individually work out our spirits in the expressions that we like. That's not what it is. That's not what Sundays are for. So you see expression distorts it. The third word, before you put it up, Kevin, the third word is a word that I had not thought enough about. I had not thought enough about this word until I got an angry Monday morning email about eight years ago. You don't get those, do you? Angry Monday morning. So I was part of the worship team, you know. And we get this email, and it's like, hey, Glenn, <clears throat> went to your church today. Um, didn't hear any mention of the Trinity, any hints at Jesus, um, you know, divinity, humanity. Didn't hear any hints of that, incarnation, you know, whatever. But it's actually, I didn't even really hear Jesus' name mentioned more than a couple times. And um, most of the songs could have been sung to Simba, the Lion King. Now, I was ticked when I read that email. It's like, whatever. I wrote him back. I had a good one, you know. <laughs> Gave him this long lecture about poetic expression. About expression. Hey, hey man, 
Don't step on my creative expression. Of course we believe those things, but this is just our expression. And he writes back, Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi. I'm like, what? What's that? And he goes, Google it. (laughs) So I did. And what it means is that the way you worship becomes the way you believe. That actually the things you repeatedly do together with the people of God when you gather eventually becomes the way that you believe. So it made me realize it's not just mission or expression, but there's a downward arrow for formation. Formation. That when we gather, it is the time and the place that the Spirit of God forms us. Or I should say, it is the time and the place when the Spirit of God might be given the opportunity to form us. Or it becomes the time and the place when we are formed, but by something else. Formed as consumers, formed as fans, formed as something else. Now, this messed with me. Because then as I began to think about it, I realized, okay, if I am not giving enough attention to these three pieces of what the Sunday gatherings are for, then maybe I'm misrepresenting what the identity of the church is. So if it's all about mission, we can become God's sales and marketing team. If it's all about expression, we can become sort of this buffet table of of experiences and options for people. And if it's all about formation, we can just become a heady classroom, right? Right. And we've been in churches like that where it's like, I'm going to teach you what to believe, boom, boom, boom. And you're like, ah, you know, there's no, nobody who is not a believer would understand anything that's being said. It's only for, right? All insider language. So there's, there's pitfalls to all three of these. I spent the most time on the first and then the second because I think that's where we tend to land as non-denominational folks, or many of us are. But I think to be the people of God means to hold all three of these things in tension. To say we have to think outward. We have to help people move upward. But we have to invite the Spirit of God to work downward and to form us every time we gather. Amen? So how do we do this? Now, some, some of you who are a little bit familiar with my journey, you know that I've gone back and studied some of the historical practices of the church and found a lot of life in that and said, let's enrich our tradition with some of those things. And I do believe, just as as a side note, I do believe there is something really wonderful about studying where we've been. You know why? Because we can't know where we're going. And we need something to set the present against. C.S. Lewis said, said, the only thing that you can study to keep you from the tyranny of trends or of the moment, to keep you from being a prisoner of the moment, is the past. Because we can't compare the present against the future. We don't know the future. But we do know the past. So so if if we will not be students of our rich story as the church, how do we know if we're holding all three of these things in tension? How do we know if we're skewing to one pole or the other, skewing towards mission or skewing towards expression or skewing towards formation and not thinking about the lost? How, how do we know? For Maybe what we need is to, is to go, go mine some of the other traditions and say, tell me what you guys are doing. Tell me why you did that. And so I began this journey of exploring this. Attended 
a worship service with our whole school of worship, an Anglican, evangelical Anglican church up, up the road here, sat with the priest, pastor, after the service, explained to us, why are you doing this? What is this? What's this about? Went to the Presbyterian church downtown, went to the Eastern Orthodox church in town, met with the, with the priest there, Father Anthony, said, well, tell, tell me about this. Why are we doing this? And it's not as simple. See, I think the trap is to be reductionistic is to say, oh, well, I tell you, all we need to do is just take this, copy and paste. Done. We are now, we're good. I hate to tell you this, but our calling is much more sacred than that. It won't be discerned by copy and pasting. It won't, be, it won't be discerned by imitating. It's, oh, all we need to do is dash a little of this and sprinkle a little of that, and voila, we are now a rich Christian church. Takes a little bit more than that. And so as I began to wrestle with this, we began to have conversations. Pastor Brady, Pastor Daniel, John, so many of us were talking about this. What, what, what's going on here? What are we missing? What are we learning? And in the process, I, I am learning that there's really three things that we can all make as a guiding constellation for us. You know, sometimes we want the one secret, the one north star. But sometimes it's really a set, a constellation of things that guides us. And so I want to give you three stars in a constellation that can guide us as we're trying to navigate. How do we live this out? What are Sundays for? And the first is this, Christ-centered. Christ-centered. Now, if you ask any pastor in the world, do you want your church to be censored on Jesus, what are they going to say? Yes, absolutely. But now we need to take some time and be more reflective about how. How? How are we Christ-centered? So Pastor Jimmy Rollins just gave us a great example of how from that passage in, in, in Corinthians about Paul saying, I'm trying to, to, to do this, to be, relate to this, but I'm not losing my bearings in Christ. Christ is the center that keeps us in the right orbit, Right? So how do we make our Sundays Christ-centered? Well, there are many ways to do it. But it requires that we think through not just the words that we say, but the things that we see. It requires that we think through not just the things that we see, but the things that we do together. It always bums me out when someone tweets a picture of a ginormous worship conference they're like, oh, it's all about Jesus. And the pictures of the band on the Jumbotron. It always just bums me out a little bit. I know nobody's got bad hearts. I know nobody's got bad intentions. I just think we can do better. I just think we can do better than that. Let's not make ourselves work against ourselves. Let's put sight and sound and actions all in concert with one another. Let's make it all work together. If we want to say Christ is the center, what, what, how can we do that visually? So I, I know that the tendency is to think, well, hey, hey, Glenn, like you're in this church, there's tons of resources. The thing about New Life Downtown, and the thing that was great about Pastor Brady is he gave us just enough support to start, but not enough to where we were spoiled. <laughs> so we, we meet in a, in a high school, the oldest school building in Colorado Springs, right in the heart of downtown, Palmer High School. And it's an old school, and we, set, we roll in and set up each week and tear down, and we're out of there. There's not a lot we can do. We don't bring in light, lighting rigs. We don't bring in, so we just can't. We, we don't have, storage is an issue. We just can't do that. 
But we do bring in every week a wooden cross that recently someone in the church said, hey, can I make that better for you? I'm so thankful when someone says it because we were using a Christmas tree stand for the cross. <laughs> yeah. And this, these people were like, we're woodworkers. We would love to use our art to help you, you know? <laughs> and, I was like, and they were like, we were afraid you would be offended. And I was like, by replacing my Christmas tree stand? Well, I'd like my Christmas tree stand back, actually. <laughs> so they built this beautiful base for it, but it's a cross, and it stands in the center of the stage, and it's just, it looks very much like the stage this morning. The communion table's there, the cross is behind it, and the band flanks it, kind of does this little, that's something small. It's something simple. That's not life changing. That, does, that doesn't cost thousands of dollars. But how can we make everything about what is said and what is done center on Jesus. Yesterday in the breakout with Pastor Brady, we talked about preaching. We talked about how even our preaching is not, we're determined to not let it end with good advice. Because if a preaching, if, if a sermon doesn't point back to the finished work of Christ and the ongoing work of the Spirit, then it's not a sermon, it's just a talk. It's just like a good, good advice, you know? Five keys to... Whatever. But if we can start with any text or any topic or any theme and make a beeline for Jesus, I think we're doing well. Secondly, the second star in this constellation is to be gospel-shaped. To be gospel-shaped. Now, what, what does that mean, gospel-shaped? We're like, I've never heard of a gospel shape. Well, what is that? For many of us, it's, if, if, we, if we don't reflect enough on it, our services really are put together with a variety show, magazine show kind of format. You know, so let's just have this segment, this segment. This. It's like the late night TV shows. This is how we assemble our services. And I think, again, am I saying there's anything evil about that? No. I just think there's a better story our services can tell. There's a different shape we can give it. Do you know, in the historic church, one of the things I discovered was that their worship had a fourfold shape. It had a fourfold shape. Each service would start with a baptism of some sort, if there was any that day, and then it would go on to the word, and then prayer, and then the table. It had this fourfold shape, and this fourfold shape actually took you through the gospel, because more or less you began by, by, by recognizing the gift of new birth and then you would hear the word of God and then you would be called into prayer and then you would, be, you would be invited again to the table. It had this fourfold shape. Well, something happened when the revivals broke out in the frontier um, movements. We, we began to adopt a threefold shape. And the threefold shape was really great for the revivals because most people were already baptized Christians. You know what I'm saying? Already baptized Christians just sort of backslidden and not living. So, so, so Charles Finney and others adopted this threefold shape that, that, that really um, de defined the frontier revivals. And it was a warm-up, and then the word, and then the decision. Now, it, it really worked for the frontier revivals. The warm-up was whatever kind of singing. The word was a salvation call. And then the decision. Now again, as a frontier revival shape, that's great. But is this the shape of Christian worship? I think this is what we have to wrestle with. This is what we have to ask. Is this the shape of Christian worship? Is it narrating the gospel? 
Now I know you're saying, okay, but Glenn, what's wrong with telling people, uh, giving people a moment to decide? No, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you say gospel-shaped, I think that's a bigger lens to use. That's a bigger lens than saying, what's our warm-up? What's the big salvation message? And where's the altar call? If we say gospel-shaped, all of a sudden you're saying, Glenn, 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 wait a minute. I can make our whole service tell a story. Right. Now all of the creative people and all the, all the right-brain storyteller types are going to say, wait, I can participate. You mean church isn't just for nerdy theology people? Right. Calling all the artists and the storytellers. How can we make the, the whole service the shape of the gospel narrative. One of the ways we do that here at New Life in both places is to have the practice of weekly communion. Why? Because we begin with the celebration and worship and then we hear the word of God and we are cut to the heart and we don't run out pumped up to apply it. We stop and we humble ourselves and we say, God, have mercy. I need you. And we come to the table where grace abounds and we remember that God has been merciful, that grace has been offered, and we receive it again. And then we hear someone say, now go into the world and be salt and light. We've lived through the narrative of the gospel. The good God, the grace of God, the sending commission of God. Actually... Isn't that the shape that Matthew, Mark, and Luke take in their Gospels? It's interesting, isn't it? The three synoptic Gospels emerged out of early Christian communities. They're one of the last New Testament books to be written. And there are, there's speculation that it's possible that even the story of Jesus' life is told. Baptism, his teachings, his prayer, and his death and resurrection. That even our Gospels are told in this shape because this is a story we're meant to relive every Sunday. Isn't that beautiful? The third word is spirit-led. Now, <laughs> I love this phrase, spirit-led. But when I was growing up in my Pentecostal AG church, spirit-led was when the pastor put his notes away. <laughs> spirit-led was when the, pa when the pastor got up and said, you guys, I had something planned. He probably didn't. It's like, but the Lord has shown me what we need to do today. And it's like, the way we, you know, our church in Malaysia, God bless them, but they had a little bit of an inferiority complex. Anytime there was a visiting evangelist from, you know, Australia, England, America, we, automatically the color of their skin told us, you know more about God than we do. It took, it's taken Asian Christians a long time to shake this. It's an unintended thing about the wonderful missions uh, movements that happened in the 1800s. But so our church was, was under that when I was growing up. So some guy would fly in, not knowing what he wanted to say, and he would get up and be like, oh, I feel like the spirit is moved. Come on, band. And I was this young kid on the worship team, you know, trying to conjure up the spirit, you know. And he's like, come on, worship team. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I think I have a prophetic song. He just, I said, that, that's not what I mean by spirit-led. When I'm thinking of spirit-led, I'm thinking of the day of Pentecost. You know what happened when the spirit came upon the church? You know the day of Pentecost is the birthday of the church. It's the, the giving of the Spirit is also the birth of the church. What does that tell you about us as the church? 
that the church cannot live without the Spirit. The church cannot imagine its mission without the Spirit. The church cannot begin to plan for a Sunday without the Spirit. And what the Spirit did on Pentecost was it allowed the church to preach the gospel in a language that people understood. This, I believe, is what it means to be spirit-led, is to allow the spirit to open your eyes to your context, to open your eyes to your city, to open your eyes to your culture and to the diversity of your community, and to say, this is how Christ becomes the center. This is how the gospel becomes the story. This is how you shape your Sundays. See, very often people say, well, Glenn, just tell me how I should do it. Should I also do weekly communion? Should I also do the... I mean, what do you think? Like, I can't give you that answer. But I can tell you if you are determined to be Christ-centered and gospel-shaped and spirit-led, he will lead you. Because what the spirit does best is reveal Jesus. What the spirit does best is reveal Jesus. What the Spirit does best is empower the proclamation of the gospel. That's what the Spirit does. That's why the Spirit has been given. I think this week we've sort of seen a little theme, haven't we? Pastor Brady started us off by saying, if you would embrace the Jesus rhythm, you would rest. And when you rest, you'll begin to discover fellowship and communion with the Holy Spirit. John Bevere. And when you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to pay attention to one another in your marriages. You're going to begin to recognize the Spirit of God at work in men and women. And Gabe, last night, you're going to begin to start paying attention to the world around you. Because we've slowed down enough to hear the Spirit, to help us look in, and then to look out. And then to come back to our churches like we heard from Jimmy today and say, okay, okay, are we actually embodying the gospel as it should be embodied in our context? No. We, 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 we. And now today, this, this session, when we think about Sundays, when it all comes around to that one day a week that we call the people of God Come from your place of work. Come from your home. Come from your school. Come from your college. Come and let us worship and bow down. What are we doing together? How is it mission and expression and formation? It's all three of those things when we are Christ-centered, gospel-shaped, and spirit-led. And the confidence that you can have today, this morning, is that the Spirit of God is with you. Spirit of God is with you. If you'll take the time to stop and, and just stop and listen. Say, Lord, is Jesus the center of our services in the most obvious way that he could be? Is he? Is the gospel the story of our services in the most obvious way that it could be? I don't know. Would you help us reimagine that? The worship team to come back up. We're going to come to the table this morning, this right here at noon. And the table of Jesus is a beautiful place because there's room for all of us at the table. The table is where we undo the original sin in Eden of taking. Isn't it interesting that 
the sin of rebellion against God is symbolized by people taking food and eating it. I need this. I need to be like God. I need this. Take, eat. And redemption is symbolized by a meal that is freely given. The fall is symbolized by a meal taken. Redemption is symbolized by a meal received. Jesus says, this, this is it. Take, receive it. You, what do you need? You need the grace? You need forgiveness? Here it is. I am your bread. I am your cup. What do you need to receive today? I am enough for you. Would you bow your heads this morning? Take a moment and listen. quietly where you are, just begin to ask the Lord for his grace to abound to you. I want us to pray a prayer of confession, but confession is not about shaming you. Confession is not about beating you up with guilt. Confession is one of the most beautiful things as Christians we do. You know why? We confess because we realize, oh, there's something better. There's someone better. I have been trying to be more than enough for my church. I have been trying to be the superhero. I have been trying to... And confession is that moment where you say, I'm sorry. pray this prayer. It comes from centuries old prayer of confession. Let's pray this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you truly sorry we come from the pit now for the sake of your son Jesus Christ have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will walk in your ways to the glory of your name friends I've, part of my journey has been has involved becoming priest, but this isn't a piece of status. This is not a way of standing over. This is a yoke. This is a way of standing under. And in the early centuries, servants at their master's tables would wear a stole 
so they could clean the cup, clean the plates, polish it up. I wear this with humility to say, I'm a servant at Jesus' table today. I'm a servant at Jesus' table saying, everybody is welcome at Jesus' table today. And as a servant of Jesus' table, I get to speak the words of the gospel over you. So would you stand and hear these words? Friends, God forgives all your sins through Jesus Christ, our Lord. May Almighty God strengthen you in all goodness. And may he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life.